All right. Seeing as we're speaking of using technology to deal with the big issues, I'd like to welcome our next speaker. So driven by her own personal experience, she has spent the last few years developing HoldMine, a product to hold our intentions and hopes for our families after we are gone. Please welcome Melissa Davies. Thank you for having me. I'm here from Ototahi Christchurch. Excited to be here in Auckland. And yeah, I do want to share a bit of a personal story today. And the reason I want to do that is I believe that technology plays a role and gives us the power to change our lives and the lives of others, but it has to come when we show up to have the big conversations. We have to talk about the things that matter. And as Kiwis, we're not so good at that. Catherine highlighted some of our social issues, and we don't talk about that stuff. I'm going to talk about one of those social issues today, and it's actually something we're all going to experience. It's that of grief. So sorry it's for the heavy topic straight after lunch, but I'm also going to connect it with innovation and technology. So let's start there. When I agreed to do this talk, I fully anticipated having 16,000 users on my new app being able to tell a success story of going from idea to implemented innovation, strong revenue stream, I've built the MVP, living the dream. And many of you in the room will know that that is always just a dream until it's a reality, and I'm not there yet. I'm sitting on the left-hand side in the development phase pre-launch. Things did not go according to plan. But I'm not here. I'm not standing in the shower having a good idea. And we all have those, right? Ideas are easy. Ideas are a dime a dozen. And I'm not afraid to be here pre-launch, things slightly off track. I'd rather be here on the journey than sitting back in the shower thinking, one day I'll do this. I have a strong corporate background. Um, I'm a mechanical engineer by trade and have, have managed and launched over 200,000 products working for West Farmers and BOC Gases in Sydney. I've led capital raises for tech startups. I went to Inside Bitcoin in 2015 when every person I spoke to about the blockchain thought I was making it up and it was a Ponzi scheme. So I love the fact that everyone's wishing they had some now. Um, I've supported investors in their portfolio management. Uh, my background primarily uh, 20 years of strategic marketing and always focused heavily on corporate, risk and risk uh, corporate strategy and risk management. So my day job now, I sit on a number of boards. Um, so, so a governor by profession, I'm a management consultant. I'm founding Holdmine and an aspiring author. But more importantly, I'm an auntie, a friend, a confidant, and a daughter. And that's the story I want to talk a bit more about. You know those scenes in a movie where someone gets really bad news and everything just stops and it goes quiet and focuses in on that person? That happened to me. I had that moment where my world, it felt like my world stopped. I was working in Wellington as the general manager of attraction for Grow Wellington, responsible for bringing investment and business into the region. Living the dream, happy with life, happy with work. Supposed to be heading into an executive team meeting and I got a phone call that changed everything. The first phone call said my dad, who was 55, was suffering a heart attack. 
Now, Greg mentioned earlier, sometimes you can call the ambulance, sometimes you can give that person CPR. Not always. And often people don't survive even if they do get CPR. So nine minutes later, standing on the street corner in Wellington, I felt like that person in the scene in the movie when the second call came to say that Dad had died. I had two colleagues either side of me, Nikki and Christine, literally holding me up. I did not see that coming. And grief is something that, for those of you that know what I'm talking about, you'll know exactly how it feels. This picture here is in Christchurch after the earthquakes. This is what, happens to, what happened to one of the roads heading to Darfield after the earthquake hit. For all intents and purposes, the road is the same. It gets you to the destination, it looks the same, it functions the same, but by God, that road is different. And that is what happens to you when you have, when you have those significant moments of grief. Everything changes. And so here I was thinking, I'm this, you know, boss bitch, you know, worked in Sydney, ran, you know, million dollar marketing budget. I can do, I can do the hard things. I can handle shit. Stuff can come at me and I've got this. Oh, how I did not have this. This was the hardest thing I've ever had to deal with. Made more complicated by the fact that my dad had actually named me as the executor of his estate. And I didn't know that. Unraveling someone's life, taking care of the people they love on their behalf when they're not there to tell you what they actually want is unbelievably difficult. And Matt mentioned earlier that with the new trust legislation, we don't really talk about estate management. We don't talk about trust. We don't. We don't talk about dying. We don't talk about what we want to happen when we pass away. We might scribble some financial information down and hand it to our lawyer in our will but that doesn't cover off what we want done with Great Aunt Jenny's painting. It doesn't talk about the river stone that we want as our headstone. It doesn't talk about the best friends we want to carry us out of, this, out of the funeral service. And I know this stuff isn't easy and it's not light, but it's bloody important. And so there I was spending the next, probably the next two years in, in what felt like a full-time job, managing and trying to honour this person that I admired without them there to guide me through it. I can't imagine what that is like if you are caring for an elderly relative, if you've got six-year-old triplets at home, if you're launching your first startup, if you've mortgaged your house to do a creative arts degree. Like these moments change you dramatically. And so that gave me the opportunity to take a step back and think, well, you know, here I am kind of backing myself to do the hard things and I'm overwhelmed. There's got to be a better way. And part of that's connected me with my purpose, which is to stand here and have these really big conversations. I'm happy to hold space for people that want to talk about losing loved ones. And I'm happy to be the person that makes everyone a little bit uncomfortable by getting on stage at a business summit about innovation and talking about grief. But it also made me realize I could create a product, I could leverage technology to solve a human problem, to make it easier for us all. Now, some of you will recognize these objects. So I'm definitely showing my age here. I grew up in a, in a home um, at a time when we had a three-digit phone number. 408 was our landline phone number. And sitting right underneath that phone was one of these beautiful flip book address books. And upstairs in Dad's office was the filing cabinet. We don't really have that these days. And all I kept thinking about 
in those days after dad died, when I had to try and figure out who the lawyer was, who the insurance broker was, did he have a prepaid funeral? What kind of funeral did he want? All I kept thinking was, where do I get this information? I could have logged into his phone, but I needed his passwords. I could have looked at his email, needed his passwords. All I kept thinking is, sometimes the simple solutions are actually better. Going back to the 70s and 80s and 90s with physical documents might have been easier. And that led me to create Holdmine. So Holdmine is, an, is a technology-based platform where you can store critical information. We don't see data, we don't touch data, it's effectively a digital filing cabinet for you to put information in and share it with those you trust, be that a copy of your will or your Netflix streaming password. It's all user-generated, super secure, super transferable, and leveraging the simplicity of the old-school filing cabinet and address book. The technology part, that's almost the easy part. The reason Holdmine's important to me is so families can come together to have those conversations. Not just about when someone passes away, but to remove the administrative burden of managing family life today. We live in diverse communities. We've often got superannuation in one country and another. We've got blended family units. We've got care for young ones and old ones alike. And if we don't come together and talk about the things that really matter because we're worried about sorting out information and planning and getting things right. We're missing the opportunity to live our best lives. And so it's actually about how technology can play a role to take away the endless chatter in our minds so we can show up and be present for the people that we care about. Because when they're not here anymore, that's the thing we're going to miss the most. And so I just want to share a bit more about the innovation journey. You know, innovation is sexy, right? There's a reason that you come to a conference that talks about innovation. It's sexy. Ideas are easy. Implementation is hard. And Greg's example of you know, the 12 to 20 year journey of the, of the blunt umbrella being what it is today, that, that's really typical. You know, Everyone's an overnight success, right? And I just wanted to share what I believe is the formula for, to get from idea to implementation. And it has to come with that vision and leadership. You've got to know why you're doing it. Because when it gets tough and the rubber hits the road, it's you that has to double down and lead the team through. And then going back to my corporate days, strategy and risk, they've got to be there. You've got to anticipate what could go wrong and mitigate it early. And then the detail, you've got to have the roadmap. Who's doing what by when and focus so hard on validation. The amount of startups I see here in New Zealand with unsophisticated investors raising five rounds of capital and not once have they found product market fit. But cash just gets thrown at them. If you're the person in the box seat trying to take your innovation to market, your focus should 100% be on winning the hearts and minds of your customers. And then discipline. You've just got to, expletive, do it. It's really easy to talk about being a founder. It's really easy to talk about this great idea. We all know someone that's writing a book, but you've got to actually be the one that does the mahi. You've got to do the hard work. And so, knowing all of that, how the hell did I end up standing here without a product? <laughs> uh, it's a theory, a theory and practic practicality don't always line up. Um, but I want to talk a bit more about high-performing teams, because that's ultimately what led to me to making a decision as to why the product isn't in market just yet. And, you know, high-performing teams, for me, are really important. Because you can have the best idea in the world, but if you don't have the right people driving it, and we all know the Jim Collins, you've got to have the right people in the right seats on the bus heading in the right direction. 
And ultimately, that's it. You know, to have a high-performing team, you've got to select the A team. You've got to have diversity. You've got to have, everyone has to have a right to be there with the right skills and the right know-how and a different perspective. I truly believe that. We all have to know our roles and the goals. We need to know what's expected of us and everyone else around the table. And then context, why are we doing this? It's really important that everyone has an understanding of the significance of the work that we are doing. And underpinning that is contribution. Everyone wants to feel valued and like their role makes the boat go faster. So if it's your company or your innovation, you've got to spell that out for people. You can't rely on them drawing, seeing the threads and drawing it together. And then it's about culture. And, you know, that, that old saying from Drucker, I think it is about, you know, culture, eat strategy for breakfast. It's true. It really is all about people. And so you've got to do the work, select the right people, celebrate the successes and communicate. And I just want to share, so why have one inspiring quote when you could have three? Uh, Nelson Mandela sums it up beautifully. You know, vision, vision without action is just a dream. Action without vision just passes the time. And vision with action can change the world. It does always seem impossible until it's done. And you've got to celebrate the milestones as you prepare for the road ahead. Because when you're in the dips and the troughs and capital's running low and you're refinancing again <laughs> and you're having to, to, to sack the development team, I can tell you what, if you don't have those celebrations and that feel-good moments behind you and you aren't focused on the prize, it's bloody hard to keep going. And so what, so what happened? Uh, I created what I thought was a high-performing team. I brought, in, I brought people in that I thought were capable and likable. It was important to me to work with people that were good humans and had the competency to do the work. What I didn't anticipate is one of the people I was working with was a friend, and the quality of their work was there, the cost was there or thereabouts, but time was the thing that got lost. They just never delivered. Everything was, yes, I'll get it done by Friday, and Friday would come and it was never done. And here I, here I was talking to investors, uh, lining up um, speaking gigs and events and, and trying to get the product to market without them ever actually doing what they said they would. And so the integrity challenge for me is, do I want to, this product is so important to me, do I want a team around me that isn't high-performing? And so I did what any driven entrepreneur does, I put in more effort. I took on the responsibility to try and make it better. I doubled down, I put extra resource in, I brought in quality control managers, I put more money into it, I threw more resource at it. That sunk fallacy cost, you know, don't quit, double down, go hard, I did all of that. And I shouldn't have, I should have quit sooner. The people challenges are the hardest ones, especially if you like the people, but you've got to make those hard decisions early. And so ultimately, I realised that I wasn't living acting with integrity to my own personal values around working in a high-performing team. People were letting me down. And so I had to change my perspective. I called some trusted contacts and said, hey, I think I'm going to just call time out on the project for a while. There's some people around the table that I don't want here. I don't believe that this innovation is going to be as, it could, as good as it could be with them around the table. What, and so invited a big conversation with people I trust. Am I being too hard? Am I being too soft? What am I missing? What could go wrong? And that really affirmed for me that carrying on 
with an underperforming team was never going to be the right thing to do. And I had to make the hard decision to effectively take on the risk of stopping the project completely and starting again, throwing, throwing the money out. And so I did. That's why I don't have a product. <laughs> I'm working with a new development team now, and we are looking at launching in August. But what it showed me is when I was back at West Farmers, and I had a product portfolio of 210,000 SKUs, it was really easy to make a decision about whether that 180-amp single-phase MIG welder went to market or not. It was really easy to decide whether we sourced onshore or offshore the bullpen hammers. That was easy, because it was product, and it was objective, and it was fact-based decision-making. This was my baby. This was heart-led. It came from the loss of my dad and my drive to help others make life a little bit easier so they could show up and grieve for the people they love instead of trying to figure out who the hell their insurance broker was. So making those decisions isn't easy when it's heart-led innovation. But actually, really impactful innovation is heart-led. We have to really care about it to keep going when it's tough. And if you want to lead high-performing teams, you've got to give a shit about the people and the project. And I love this quote by John Maxwell, to lead yourself, use your head, to lead others, use your heart. But actually, I think it's more than that. I think you've got to lead yourself. You're the founder, you're the innovator, it's your vision. And if you don't act with integrity and stay in integrity, you won't get the outcomes you need. So I think it's a blend of what he's saying. I think it's about leading with your heart, but taking your head with you. Thank you. Thank you very much. I have to try and work around this question a little bit because it seems slightly glib and it's a bit personal, but when you're talking about losing your dad in his mid-50s, it's the same thing that, that happened to me, and it is devastating because you're at that point where you think things are still going to carry on forever. Uh, but it starts to... Again, it's glib to say silver lining, but it starts to change something in you as well. Like maybe you catalyze something or you, you kind of work at a different level. Did you feel that, that that happened for you? Yeah, 100%. I think we all know the theory that life is finite and we've only got one shot at this. And we should, you know, live your dharma, live your purpose. And I, I don't think I truly believed or knew what that felt like until I saw, had those experiences and realized... Mm. You know, I, I do want to make my life count. I want people's lives to be better in some way because of the contribution I've made. And chasing a paycheck in the big corner office in Sydney never gave me the satisfaction that struggling to take an innovation to market that's really meaningful mm. ever could. Like, this is so much more impactful. Yeah, and, and when you're talking about, you know, the days of being the boss bitch and that, that kind of <laughs> Sorry stuff. Sorry for swearing so much, by No, it's, I, I think I kind of set the bench. Farm, girl from, it, farm girl from Canterbury here, sorry. Um, but do you think you would have made the same decisions that you've made now in terms of not compromising in terms of who's working on the working as part of the project? You know, would you have would you have done that or is it different now that it is this heartfelt project, as you say? Yeah, I think I was probably a bit tougher at West Farmers actually. It was a bit of a you know, it was that corporate culture, it was quite objective, you know, and you either performed or you didn't. It was quite black and white. I think there's a lot of nuance when you're working on collaborative projects or there is some sweat equity arrangements with mm. other partners coming to the table. I think it's actually easier when you're in a corporate environment and you've got a big bank balance behind you and everyone's really clear about their job. When you're creating and co-designing and building, truly creating new pathways, it is a lot harder. Mm. Brilliant. Well, all the best. Thank, Thank you. you very much. Thank you.